Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, violent earthquakes shaking the western coastline of Japan. It's triggering tsunami alerts across the region. Authorities are telling residents to flee their homes as more deadly waves are approaching. Israel Defense Forces are showing signs of entering a new phase in the war. Some Israeli troops will soon return home, and residents from some evacuated villages near the Gaza border will also soon return to their homes. Jason Perry reports. Tensions surging to a new high as U.S. forces in the Red Sea killed Houthi rebels in self-defense. What's the White House saying about the potential for a wider conflict? It's a brand new year, but Congress is still grappling with the same old problems. Melina Weiskup recaps what Congress has punted into the new year and the main obstacles in this divided Congress. Maine police respond to a fake burglary call. An unknown man told them he had broken into the home of the Secretary of State. This came a day after she removed former President Trump from the state's ballot. And now a Maine lawmaker wants her impeached. Arlene Richards brings us the election updates. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts says AI poses a threat to the judicial system. Meanwhile, international leaders address the technology in their New Year speeches. Arian Pazdar brings us what they say. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. This New Year's Day, residents across the western coastline of Japan are scrambling to flee their homes. A round of powerful earthquakes, as high as 7.6 in magnitude, slammed the region with force, triggering tsunami warnings and mass evacuations. Today, residents in Japan are on high alert after a violent tremor shook the west coast of the island. At a train station, shoppers were seen rushing to take cover in a convenience store as shockwaves knocked items off the shelves. Meanwhile, in Joetsu City, eyewitness footage captured the moment tsunami waves hit the shore. Japan's chief cabinet secretary said they're still assessing the full extent of the damage. The specific details are currently unclear, but we currently have received reports of six individuals trapped by collapsed buildings in Ishikawa Prefecture. We will continue to make all efforts to gather more information. Japan's weather agency dropped its highest tsunami alerts after reporting more than a dozen quakes off the coast of Ishikawa. Residents were told to move to higher ground as more deadly waves are expected. Japanese leaders initially warned that torrents could reach as high as 16 feet. But that warning has now been downgraded to a normal tsunami, which means waters could still be as high as 10 feet. A thousand members of the Japanese military will help rescue and recovery efforts. This is Japan's first time to issue a tsunami warning since 2011. And during that time, tsunami waves made their way across the Pacific Ocean and eventually hit the coast of California, causing more than $100 million in property damage. 
Israeli forces have been making steady progress against Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip. So much that Israel's defense minister just said that residents of some Israeli villages near the Gaza border will soon return home. Could this be a new phase in the war? NTD's Jason Perry has the latest. While people around the world were celebrating the new year, Hamas terrorists on Monday released a video reportedly firing a barrage of rockets at Israel. And over the weekend, Hamas terrorists released another video showing this terrorist climbing up from a tunnel right next to an apparent Israeli tank. Someone from below hands him an explosive device, which he places on the tank and quickly disappears back into the tunnel before it explodes. Israel Defense Forces say they have found over 1,500 of these tunnel entrances, including this one more recently, which was found underneath what looks like a stack of wood before throwing a grenade in and ducking for cover. This lieutenant colonel in the IDF gave an update on a recent mission at Al-Baraj camp in which terrorists hiding within the civilian population fired explosives at Israeli troops. Here in this school, located here to my right, we had intelligence on terrorists who are located together with the civilian population inside the school. We operated in the area of the school. We took the civilian population out and handled the terrorists. The terrorists were brought in for further questioning, and we are turning the civilian population to the safe areas. The IDF is learning more about the terrorist group's method of operations, as seen in this footage from a body camera found on a terrorist. This man is seen casually walking in broad daylight with a rocket-propelled grenade launcher under a blanket. He was later seen firing it from a residence at an Israeli tank. Israel Defense Forces continue to face the challenge of distinguishing Hamas terrorists from the civilian population, but it appears they are making significant progress, even letting some soldiers go home. Some of the reservist soldiers will return to their families and their jobs this week. This will allow a significant relief for the economy and will allow them to gather strength ahead of the coming activities in the next year, and the fighting will continue and we will need them. These adjustments are meant to ensure planning and preparation for the rest of 2024. And Israel's defense minister made another significant announcement, saying that some villages near the Gaza border that were evacuated because of the October 7th attacks will be allowed to return home soon. But as the IDF continues to make progress towards defeating Hamas, many questions still remain about how the Gaza Strip will be governed after the war is over. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said over the weekend that the Gaza Strip's border with Egypt should be under Israel's control. He also said that they will ensure that Gaza is no longer a threat to Israel, that there will be no element in Gaza that finances terrorism, educates its children for terrorism, or pays the family members of terrorists. Jason Perry, NTD News. Staying with Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's efforts to change the judicial system are meeting a major roadblock. The country's Supreme Court today struck down a law that was part of that judicial overhaul. The new law had removed one but not all of the Supreme Court's tools for quashing government decisions and appointments. It had taken away the court's ability to void such decisions that it deemed unreasonable. 
The law was part of a broader judicial overhaul proposed by Netanyahu and his coalition partners. It rolled back some of the high court's power and sparked nationwide protests since the beginning of 2023 before the war with Hamas. The Israel Supreme Court ruled 8-7 to seven against the law. Judges say they believe the law would severely damage Israel's democracy. The court decision could bring political division back to Israel. Netanyahu's party reacted, saying the ruling is bad for national unity during a time of war. Tensions between the U.S. and the Iranian-backed Houthis surging to a new high as U.S. forces under attack killed several Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. But the White House says the U.S. has no desire to enter a wider war. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has the latest. The White House says President Biden on Monday morning spoke with his national security team about the latest developments in the Middle East. On Sunday, U.S. helicopters sank three Houthi boats and killed those aboard. This after U.S. forces came under fire when responding to an attack on a cargo ship by Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. The U.S. military says it's the first time they've killed Houthi rebels after the Iranian-backed group started launching some 20 attacks against commercial vessels in the vital shipping route. The Houthis says they're doing it to retaliate against Israeli operations in Gaza. The White House, while saying that the U.S. will continue acting in self-defense, says that the U.S. does not want to widen this conflict. We don't seek a conflict uh, wider in the region. We certainly aren't looking for a conflict with the Houthis. Uh, the best outcome here would be for the Houthis to stop these attacks, as we, as we have made clear uh, over and over again. Some Republican lawmakers, including Congressman Mike Turner, are urging President Biden to take stronger action against the Houthis, saying that the lack of it would embolden Iran in the region. According to Iranian state media, Iran's foreign minister at a Monday meeting thanked the Houthis for what they called their powerful stance in supporting the oppressed people of Palestine. The Houthis, meanwhile, have warned that it will start attacking U.S. warships in the Red Sea if Washington orders attacks on the group in Yemen. The White House, meanwhile, saying that it's not ruling in or out any option, but will make the right decision going forward. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. It's a brand new year, but Congress is still grappling with the same old problems. Over in Washington, D.C., unfinished business is still piled up from last year. Many of the items on the agenda don't have a clear path forward. NTD's Melina Weiss Cup has more on the 2024 bottlenecks for this divided Congress. Lawmakers are in for a rocky road ahead this new year from everything such as stalled negotiations on border policy to Ukraine and Israel aid. And let's not forget, lawmakers still have no permanent solution to fund the government past mid-January. Remember, they left for the holiday recess without coming up with a permanent solution, only finding a temporary one to keep the lights on. Now when they come back to D.C., they'll have only around a week's time to figure something out to be able to once again avoid a government shutdown by the end of this month. Speaker Mike Johnson says that if Congress fails to reach an agreement in time, he'll try to push through a full year continuing resolution. Now, this has upset lawmakers on both sides of the aisle because it would mean locking in last year's spending levels, meaning that lawmakers wouldn't be able to make any changes in spending for this fiscal year.
As for those high-stakes negotiations around immigration policy and Ukraine aid, senators say they're making progress, but with illegal immigration yet again hitting a record high, around 225,000 illegal crossings in the month of December, Republicans are really holding a hard line on this issue, and it's unclear how much Senate Democrats in the White House will be willing to accept. Plus, we've heard absolutely nothing about progress on aid to Israel. And on a more political note, Republican leadership in the House needs to decide if and when they're going to hold a full floor vote on whether or not to impeach President Biden after they launched the official inquiry just before leaving D.C. All of these issues emerging as major hot button topics so controversial that Congress could not solve them before last year's end. And it's unclear if this year will be any different. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The home of Maine's Secretary of State was swatted on Friday. Police responding to a fake burglary call arrived at Shanna Bellows' home. This comes a day after Bellows disqualified former President Trump from the Maine ballot. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Just one day after removing former President Trump from Maine's ballot, Secretary of State Shanna Bellows said her home was swatted. Swatting is the act of calling in a fake emergency with the intent of getting a large police response to show up at the residence. In a social media post, Bellow said law enforcement responded to a fake emergency call on Friday. The Maine State Police confirmed that an unknown male called saying that he had broken into a home. Bellow said her home address was posted online and that she was away for the holiday when police arrived. In an interview, she thanked law enforcement. I was prepared for the possibility of threats, and I really appreciate uh, law enforcement and the people around me uh, who have been uh, incredibly supportive of my safety and security. Uh, my safety and security is important, so is the safety and security of everyone who works with me. And we have received threatening communications. Those are unacceptable. She said in her social media post that her staff endured nonstop threatening communications designed to scare not only me, but also others into silence to send a message. On Thursday, Bellows made a historic ruling to take Trump off the 2024 primary ballot in Maine. She ruled that Trump violated the 14th Amendment and his oath of office by engaging in an insurrection on January 6, 2021. At least one Republican lawmaker thinks Bellows should be impeached for her ruling. State Representative John Andrews, a Republican, called the decision hyperpartisanship on full display. Andrews said he put the state revisor's office on notice that he wants an impeachment proceeding. U.S. lawmakers have shown bipartisan opposition to the ruling. Democrat Jared Golden said until Trump is found guilty of the crime of insurrection, he should be allowed on the ballot. Bellows has said she followed the Constitution and the rule of law and that no one should be threatened for doing their job. Speaking of doing their job, Governor Ron DeSantis says if he gets into the White House, he will pardon Trump. Well, I've already said that long ago. I mean, I think we got to move on as a country. At a campaign stop in Iowa on Friday, DeSantis told a reporter that divisions are just not in the country's interest. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts says AI poses a threat to the judicial system. In his end-of-the-year report yesterday, he says AI could invade a person's privacy and dehumanize the law. And today's Arian Pazdar has more. Chief Justice John Roberts on Sunday published the annual year-end report. 
warning of the use of AI in federal courts. He said AI can increase access to legal information for people, especially those unable to hire a lawyer. But he also sees dangers with the tech. Robert said AI could invade a person's privacy and dehumanize the law, saying any use of AI requires caution and humility. This comes as Congress will soon examine AI's proper use in litigation. In his report, Roberts didn't discuss other ongoing topics, such as the disputes involving former President Trump or the court's new code of conduct. And in other AI-related news, the United Nations Secretary General published a New Year's message mentioning the technology. And we must make sure new technologies, such as artificial intelligence, are a force for good. The Secretary is urging nations around the globe to work together to find solutions for various issues, including AI. And lastly, Pope Francis presided over a Mass on New Year's Day, Monday. The theme was artificial intelligence and peace. The world needs to look to mothers and to women in order to find peace, to emerge from the spiral of violence and hatred, and once more see things with genuinely human eyes and hearts. The Pope reportedly also warned of technological dictatorship through AI, calling on people to use it as little as possible. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Many secret court papers about the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein will become public this week. Speculation is resting on several prominent people, including former President Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew. The documents are from a 2015 lawsuit from Epstein accuser Virginia Giuffray. A judge decided that there is no good reason to keep the ex-president's name and over 150 other names hidden in the records. The names were previously known only as John and Jane Doe's. Clinton will allegedly be revealed as John Doe 36. Manhattan federal judge Loretta Prescott made this decision just before Christmas. The judge said the documents can be opened after January 1st. Coming up, people around the world ring in the new year in their own unique ways. Take a global tour with us to see some of the most memorable celebrations. What's the economic outlook for 2024? Our guest says we can expect several trends, including difficulties in the labor market. Hear more about his analysis. And starting a business is a New Year's resolution for many. Ironman athlete Steven Pinkvik explains how lessons from 17 triathlons led to his business success. That and more when we return. Welcome back. Different countries have their own unique ways to ring in the new year. We bring you some of the most memorable celebrations from around the world. 2024 arrived in style on Monday. Celebrations at iconic locations were enjoyed by millions of people worldwide. Each country has its own style of ringing in the new year, like this unique lantern release in Tokyo. Japan is among the first to celebrate the holiday due to its location far east. Revelers in Auckland, New Zealand were treated to fireworks in a light show atop the thousand-foot-tall sky tower there. Sydney, Australia thrilled the audience with a spectacular fireworks display set off from multiple locations. In Seoul, Korea, they literally rang in the new year on a massive bell, followed by a fabulous light show. Taiwan's celebration was located around the 1600-foot 101 tower in Taipei. Europe had plenty of great celebrations too, like this one at Berlin's famous Brandenburg Gate. The chimes of Big Ben rang in the new year along London's River Thames. 
Hundreds of thousands converged on the Champs-Élysées in Paris for a festive celebration there. Different cultures may have different ways to celebrate the new year, but one thing is certain, audiences look forward to each festive observance. We asked people across America about their New Year's resolutions and what the previous year taught them. Let's take a look. As another year comes to an end, people turn their thoughts to the upcoming year. Making a New Year's resolution is a time-honored tradition for many. I think that we're just trying to be smarter with our money this year so that we can buy a house at the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, to kind of just exercise more, um, to focus more on mental health and like overall health um, and just to have a, you know, great year and accomplish many things. To go explore and I guess really venture outside my comfort zone. That's, that's what I'm trying to do this coming year. And wish the world peace. We got a lot going on in the world. It is so much segregation, so much division. Just lose weight and get back in shape <laughs> from all the candy. 2023 was a memorable year. What were some lessons people took away from the year's events? You know, family's the most important thing. And uh, no matter how hard things get, just keep on, keep on fighting through it. Life is hard. Life is really hard. There's ups and downs, but to never give up. I have to put in the effort to, for myself to do anything. And, you know, everything's on me. Just everybody be happy, spend time with your family, enjoy. Um, that quality time because it may not be guaranteed. <laughs> just uh, love on your family. That's the most important yeah. thing. The New Year's holiday is more than just a transition from one year to the next. It offers an opportunity to reflect on the past, look for ways to improve, and to plan for the future. Now let's take a moment to assess the economic outlook for 2024. Joining us now is Vance Ginn, president at Ginn Economic Consulting and senior fellow at Young Americans for Liberty. Vance Ginn, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Chip Ginn, what is your economic outlook for this year? Good, bad, maybe a bit of both? I think we got a little bit of both. Maybe the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, maybe the good part is, is that I think we're going to see lower interest rates. Um, the Federal Reserve has pushed pause on hiking interest rates as of last July, and now they're in a position of maybe cutting interest rates three times this year. So I think families can be on the lookout for lower interest rates. But on the, the bad part of it, I think inflation is going to still be around. It has moderated closer to 3% compared with the 9% it was in 2022. But we're still seeing higher levels of inflation that people haven't been able to keep up with for a while. And kind of the ugly, I think I think we're going to see more job losses over the course of this year as the labor market has slowed down. Some other things have been going on in the labor market. And a lot of people are concerned about profitability for the future with so much uncertainty that's happening in the economy. Mm. And how much of this depends on the 2024 presidential election results? That's another big part of the uncertainty for 2024. We're going to have the primaries for the GOP Republican presidential candidates, right? Um, and who's going to come out from that to go into the general election against, I guess, the presumed nominee is, is President Biden. What I hope we also see is policies. So what is going to be the policies from the different candidates and, and should put some actual meat to the bones of those policies so that way families and businesses and entrepreneurs, lower-income people across the country can understand where their dollars are going to go in the next year. And what about for those who are maybe thinking of switching jobs this year? How's the market looking? 
You know, right now there's been a lot of people who have been switching jobs, getting higher pay. That's been a big part of this is that in order to get higher pay, sometimes you've got to leave your job and go somewhere else. And that's important when there's high amount of inflation that's been going on. As inflation is moderating, as the labor market is looking weaker and having some slack more to it, I don't think as people are going to want to jump jobs as much as they have in the past couple of years. Um, and for better or worse, maybe they want to stick where they're at, and that can leave some longevity. They can ask for a raise and maybe have some negotiating power to do so. So I think that could be a good thing for many workers across the country. And it's not just factors at home. There's also geopolitics. We have the Iran-backed Houthis attacking the shipping containers that are rerouting ships in the Red Sea. You have the Asian market concerns there and also, of course, Ukraine. How do you see that playing into this economy? It's a great point. Geopolitics is definitely has a play in what's going on here when you think about oil prices and gasoline prices and how that's going to influence the overall economy. We've also got to think about our, our spending and our national debt, uh, $34 trillion. Net interest payments on the debt are going to be on a trillion dollars alone just per year, and the deficit's going to be two plus trillion. So if we don't get that part under control, that's going to influence a lot of our other ability to meet foreign and, and domestic um, I, you know, in different situations that are going on and make it more difficult. And that's part of the uncertainty I think we're going to have out there. The other part of this, I know that the Federal Reserve wants to start cutting interest rates this year. That's our central bank. Um, but I think it's going to be tough for them to do so when inflation is still around. But they might have to because of the excess spending and debt that's going to crowd out a lot of the budget for, for the federal government. Van Skin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Have a great day. Happy New Year. A New Year's resolution for some starting a business. Iron Man star and successful entrepreneur Stephen Pivnik is teaching people how to do just that. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. Steve Pivnik is an Ironman athlete and successful tech entrepreneur who grew his last company to over 200 employees across 12 countries before selling it to a $4 billion competitor. His new book, Built to Finish, How to Go the Distance in Business and in Life, teaches how he applied lessons learned through endurance sports to his successful business. There's a lot of similarities between being an entrepreneur and being in endurance sports. You know, entrepreneurship is an endurance sport. Pivnik has completed 17 Ironman triathlons and qualified for the World Championship in Kona, Hawaii. One thing he's learned, the importance of measurements. Pivnik says that in endurance sports, you take measurements to a whole new level. You're tracking your distances, you're tracking your pace, you're tracking the calories that you're burning, you're tracking the calories that you're intaking. The more and more I got serious about endurance sports, the better our measurements became, the more frequently we made them, and the more frequently we communicated them to the rest of the company, allowing everybody to be on the same page. Pivnik says there are many other ingredients to success such as being nimble. Pivnik sees entrepreneurs with great ideas in their heads, but when they execute, they don't react to market feedback. Surrounding yourself with a great team. Some executives have a Superman complex and want to do everything themselves. They need to delegate. And having an open door policy. At his previous company, any of his employees could have texted him at any time. He says leaders benefit from direct communication with team members as long as it's not disruptive. Built to Finish comes out on January 30th, 2024. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. Coming up, the U.S. military is the smallest it's been since the end of the draft system. An Army veteran shares more on the Pentagon's ongoing recruitment challenge. 
And are China's economic woes going to continue into the new year? Our guest says the situation is a lot worse than what the communist regime admits. Hear more about his assessment after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. A round of powerful earthquakes as high as 7.6 in magnitude hit Japan on New Year's Day. They triggered tsunami warnings and mass evacuations across the west coast of Japan. Authorities say at least six people have been killed. Hamas terrorists continue to fire rockets towards Israel in the new year. Meanwhile, Israel said some reservists and Israeli villagers near the Gaza border will soon return home. U.S. military helicopters sank three Houthi boats in the Red Sea and killed those on board. This came after U.S. forces came under fire when responding to a Houthi attack on a cargo ship. The Defense Department missed its 2023 recruitment goal by 41,000 people. Military recruitment has been an ongoing challenge. Officials and experts say the Pentagon is taking steps to deal with this complex issue. Entity's Jason Blair brings us more. It's reported that the U.S. military is the smallest it's been since the draft system ended after the Vietnam War. Pentagon officials have spoken on the topic, citing many factors, like younger Americans are increasingly choosing more traditional career paths. Also, the vaccine mandate led to 8,000 troops being discharged for refusing it, with less than 1% showing interest in rejoining after it ended. Steve Bainan is a U.S. Army veteran and reporter for Military.com. He says the armed forces is facing an uphill recruiting battle right now. It's an amalgamation of problems. Uh, one being the military has sort of lost some cultural relevancy. You don't see any uh, big ticket uh, military movies and theaters. You know, Black Hawk Down isn't playing right now. There's no uh, major war per se. We're in a relative peacetime. And that's a good thing. But that also leaves service sort of out of the minds of, of young people. Bainan also says the growing obesity epidemic and short shortfalls in education are at the top of the list of issues. There is actually quite a large pool of people who want to join the military, but they're frankly not eligible to enlist because they're either too overweight or they can't pass uh, academic standards to join. There have been steps taken to help improve those issues. The Army and Navy started new programs to help recruits who fell a little short in weight, academic or technical standards to get qualified. In the past year, the Army was able to get 10,000 new recruits through the programs. So that's 10,000 people who wouldn't have otherwise been able to join the Army that were able to join because of those classes. That's been considered a, a pretty huge success um, among most uh, senior Army leaders. Department of Defense officials have also cited a lack of patriotism among Generation Z. However, Bainan doesn't see it as being a major issue, saying other things hold more weight pointing to things like the military not being as competitive as it used to be, with many private employers currently offering attractive pay and benefits. Jason Blair, NTD News. Will China's economy continue to be in big trouble in the new year? Joining us now to explore China's economic woes and how they'll influence the U.S., we have China economic analyst and national security analyst Antonio Gorsefo. He authored a brand new book on China called Red Alert, China's Global Power and How It Threatens U.S. National Security. Antonio Gorsefo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. 
Thank you, Tiffany. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, speaking of the New Year, China's economic woes seem to still be at the forefront. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping actually mentioned it in his speech with a rare admission. He said some enterprises had a tough time, some people had difficulty finding jobs and meeting basic needs. What do you make of this rare admission? Yeah, that is really something. I think, you know, the situation is quite bad in China, and I believe that if he admits anything, it means the situation is 100 times worse than that and that he's finally recognizing that. I think it also means that he doesn't think he can fix it quickly. And now this year will mark the 75th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party inside China. On that note, what can we expect in terms of the economic policy? Because Xi Jinping did say in his speech, quote, we will promote vibrant development of the economy. What can we expect? Uh, you know, it's just rhetoric. I mean, they, they always say things like that. You know, he wants to promote the consumer economy. He wants to promote this, that, uh, stop their reliance on uh, exports. But uh, it, it's just a bunch of rhetoric. I mean, at the end of the day, he knows that to maintain his legitimacy, he has to find a way to save the economy and, uh, you know, get people back to work, get, get their standard of living back. And that's going to be his priority. However, let me just add with that, that he seems to be prioritizing national security um, and party ideology over the economy. So those are very conflicting goals. And on that note, I actually tie, I want to tie into your new book. It's titled Red Alert, China's Global Power and How It Threatens U.S. National Security. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I studied at the American Military University. I studied national security. And so we learned a number of frameworks that can be used to assess a threat country, uh, their, to, uh, to assess their power and um, you know their ability to wage war. And there's a number of these frameworks. So I thought it would be a really interesting idea to take all the frameworks, put them in a single book, and do a very thorough analysis of China's power. Because we want to go way beyond just counting the number of troops and missiles and things like that. There's so much more to fighting a war than that. So th there's uh, many dimensions, but um, I would say that the uh, military economic and diplomatic are the most important dimensions. And on that note, Xi Jinping also mentioned in his speech Taiwan, he said the reunification of the motherland is a historical inevitability. What does all of that mean for the U.S. in this year? Well, we, we have suspected, no one knows, of course, this is all speculation, but we've always suspected that if Xi Jinping just kind of throws up his hands and goes, look, I can't fix this economy, he has to do something. So he might invade Taiwan. And, th and that, that has been, let's say, a widely believed you know, speculation. I don't know that it's, that it's based on anything. But, but you know, he has to do something. And the other nice thing about invading Taiwan is then he can blame any economic problems. He can blame it on the war. And so it will give him a, a way out, basically. And even if that weren't to happen, given China's economic state, how will that affect the U.S. or other markets? Yeah. So basically, you know, China's facing structural problems. You know, we, we, we keep discussing it. Same problems. She does not have a solution. That's the real estate. That's the youth unemployment. Um, consumer prices are, are in decline. People don't want to spend money. He's got to fix all those things. Now, how that's going to affect the United States and our allies, it's very interesting because more and more companies are leaving China. They're relocating their manufacturing. India is experiencing a boom now, which is basically fueled by people leaving China. India keeps moving closer to the United States. We still don't have quite 
the close relationship that we have with, say, the Philippines or Japan, but things are getting much better between the United States and India, and these economic ties will help to improve that as well. So I think the way it's going to affect the United States is that we will start uh, importing and manufacturing from India, from Vietnam, from Indonesia. I think that's good. It's going to help our allies. It's going to build our diplomatic power. It's going to reduce our dependence on China. And, you know, on, on the whole, China's downturn is really beneficial for the United States in the long run. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, the deadline for the proposed merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf has reportedly been extended, but with some new investors included. Dave Martin will join us to discuss. Shunyan audiences in California say they're moved and uplifted. David Lamb has more on the performing arts group that took to the stage in San Jose over the weekend. And one of the largest New Year's Day celebrations dazzled Southern Californians. Christina Corona brings us the highlights from this year's Rose Bowl Parade after the break. Welcome back. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, a big day for college football. We've had three bowl games already, highlighted by Oregon having blowing out previously unbeaten Liberty 45-6. to That's in the Fiesta Bowl. Now, with all the uproar about the undefeated Florida State not making the playoffs, why was there little fanfare regarding Liberty? You know, there probably was some fanfare. You just couldn't hear it over Florida State's uproar, you know. The difference is one is already a football powerhouse, Florida State, that plays a power conference schedule. I mean, they even beat SEC power LSU. Meanwhile, the other didn't play a ranked team until today, and the game really wasn't very close. Now, of course, Florida State, after all the complaining, got beat even worse by Georgia Saturday, 63-3. I mean, the game was over before halftime. Now, I will grant the Seminoles were without a number of key players, but it was a really bad look for the program. I'd say. Now, under next year's 12-team playoff arrangement, both teams would automatically make it as two of the top uh, highest-rated uh, conference champions, two of the top six highest-rated, I should say. Now, I'm sure there'll still be controversy over who that 12th and final team will be, but at least uh, you have an automatic way to get in, and you don't have to leave it up to the committee. Now, speaking of those playoffs, Michigan and Alabama are currently playing in the first semifinal, followed by Texas versus Washington tonight. Now, you've said you like Michigan in the first one. How do you see the second one going? Yeah, I think both will be very close, hard-fought games. I have, right now, Michigan is leading Alabama 13-10 to 10 at the half. Last year, Texas Christian kind of crashed the playoffs. You know, as underdogs, they shocked everyone when they beat Michigan. I think that's what will drive Michigan today, that bad taste in their mouth for the second straight season. But I also see a similar scenario for Washington. The Huskies may be undefeated, but they were like 10-point underdogs in Georgia a month ago in the Pac-12 championship, despite beating them earlier in the season. They won the rematch. Now they're four-point underdogs to an albeit very good Texas squad. But Texas isn't undefeated either. So they seem to thrive on being the underdog. So I think it'll be Michigan and Washington advancing to the title game. Now, shifting gears to the NFL, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs clinched their eighth straight division title. Meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins were blown out by the Baltimore Ravens. How do you rank the AFC contenders here? Well, the Chiefs have still been winning, but it's hard to see them advancing with their receivers having all their struggles, dropping the ball for one thing. I will grant they have a great defense, and you can never count out Patrick Mahomes. Now, Baltimore, I mean, they're just the hottest team in the league. I can't believe what they did to Miami yesterday. The Dolphins 
Dolphins also just lost linebacker Bradley Chubb to a knee injury. Meanwhile, Buffalo, they suddenly won four straight games. I still like Miami despite that loss and Buffalo despite their previous struggles. So I have Baltimore above the rest. I have Buffalo just ahead of Miami, Kansas City behind them. That's my top four anyway. Moving now to golf, one of the biggest stories in 2023 was the proposed merger between the PGA and Live Golf. Now, they had planned to have something finalized by the end of 2023. Where do things stand now? Yeah, it looks like they're trying to extend the deadline. It also looks like the negotiations are also going to include some U.S. investors, as well as the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, which owns Live Golf. Now, according to a report by ESPN, the new for-profit entity called PGA Tour Enterprises could receive as much as $7 billion in funding combined from those two, the U.S. and Saudi investors. Now, I think the big deal with the Saudis coming to the table and investing is really to eliminate Liv as a rival. I mean, they bought in so many of the PGA's players, they pretty much have to be part of this deal for it to work. Now, Liv, you know, they may have bought the players, but they really have no revenue because they don't have much of a brand name since it's tied to, you know, Saudi Arabia's atrocious human rights record. PGA, they have the brand name. They just do not have the funding to compete with Liv. So this seems to ensure that they will. It puts golf all under one roof. It just hasn't been completed yet. I'm sure it's not that simple, but I think we're going to hear a, um, an announcement soon on this. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. Now, if you're looking for an uplifting experience to ring in the new year, we found just the one for you. Many theater goers say they've been moved, inspired and uplifted during the world tour of Shinyan Performing Arts. One of its eight dance companies took the stage in California over the holiday weekend. NTD's David Lamb reports. Shen Yun Performing Arts performed in the theater behind me over the weekend. They have plans for San Francisco, Berkeley and other areas on the West Coast as well. Let's hear what audience members have to say. Patrons watched Shen Yun at the San Jose Center for the Performing Arts in California. It was the second time for this married couple. The first time we were here, the opening music and the opening dance, I was crying. I mean, it was that beautiful, that stunning to see it for the first time was amazing. I've been fighting cancer for three and a half years. So, you know, Shen Yen just lifts my spirits. Anyone who hasn't seen it has to come and see it because it will make your heart sing. Shen Yun's mission is to revive traditional Chinese culture and share it with the world. The New York-based company also sheds light on the ongoing persecution of faiths carried out by the Chinese government. It was compelling, and it was also educational, for, you know, for me to learn more about that as well. So it was, it was really well done and really moving. I was very emotional. I was tearing up during that piece. It was captivating in a way that I felt like I got a piece of understanding that I didn't have before. The dancing was beautiful. I've worked with ballet companies before doing choreography and to watch the dancers tell the stories through their body movement, uh, through the pantomiming of their actions to bring the stories to the stage in the balcony at the back so we could all see it. I loved it. There's been some horrible experiences around the world and I love the emphasis on kindness. You know, if we put more kindness out, the world would be a better place. And I think that's really valuable and really important to share. David Lamb, NTD News, San Jose, California.
Staying in California, the Rose Bowl Parade is one of the largest New Year's Day celebrations, dazzling with intricate floats and vibrant energy. NTD's Christina Corona brings us more from Pasadena, California. We're here in Pasadena at the 135th annual New Year's Day Rose Parade, featuring floral floats, equestrian units, marching band, and much more. Let's take a look and see what this year has to offer. Thousands of spectators came out to Colorado Boulevard to see the beautifully crafted floats. This year's theme of the parade is celebrating a world of music, the universal language. Tournament of the Roses president Alex Agajanian said the theme was chosen because in a world of different cultures, beliefs, hopes and dreams, one language unites us all, music. The Grand Marshal at this year's parade is Grammy and Emmy Award winning actress and singer Audra McDonald. Some musicians that performed were American Idol's Jordan Sparks, former Destiny's Child member Michelle Williams, Illinois acapella group Straight No Chaser, and Emmy-nominated songwriter Alexander Starr. We spoke to several parade goers who told us what they enjoy most about the Rose Parade. I think it's an up and close personal experience to be just close and see the expression on the faces of the bands and the people that put in all the hard work that are marching through this parade that have practiced for countless hours. I'm always intrigued by the marching bands and the, and the guys that carry those huge tubas and those big giant bass drums for two miles through this parade. Uh, it just amazes me. The music, actually. So we're just really excited for anything that has music just for her to dance to and kind of play around with all the and see, that's what we're waiting for right now. Each float has a very unique theme and competes to win awards based on their design, presentation, and entertainment value. The favorite part is to see the innovative floats, the technology, and just the beautiful floral arrangements. And each float has uh, uh, does something for the community, and we try to support that. From dancing elements to the most beautiful flowers to huge alligators, the Rose Parade has it all. Happy New Year. Christina Corona, NTD News, Pasadena. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.